The goal is deconstructing without departing. We want to travel back in time, let people tell their stories of the things they've walked through, so that we can help people who are moving forward in time without making mistakes. It's okay to ask questions. Welcome back to episode two of Renovating Faith. I am very excited to be back today, and uh, hopefully you are too. We have a very special guest this time. Um, When I looked at starting the podcast, this is one of the first two people that I messaged to see uh, two questions. One, is this a good idea? And two, is it a need? And uh, was there kind of a market for it? Do you think this is something that that people want to hear? And um you know, Will came back with just an awesome response. And then the other, of course, was my wife, because I can't do anything without talking to her, because if it takes my time, that means it takes her time. And uh, I had several podcast ideas that she shot down very quickly. And this one was fastest response I've probably ever gotten from her on just about any question other than going to Chick-fil-A. And that was a resounding, yes, this is a need. So um, I am excited today to have uh, one of my very, very dear friends. We've known each other for about a decade. Um, We met in the year 1 BC before Cali. Uh, We were both dating someone who we did not end up marrying. um, And and God worked all of that out for his glory. And um, he is, what else can I say about you? Um, you're the founder of the cult of the Hessians, which is pretty much anyone against Calvinism. Um, you are the, let's see, what was the other one I came up with? Uh, the reformer of the reformed. And, uh, he's laughing. You got yourself muted, but, uh, all of that aside, all the jokes aside, please, uh, make welcome Will Hess of the church split podcast. I am dead right now. <laughs> That's a lot of hype to live up to, but I definitely like the uh, one BC that before Cali, for those who don't know, that's my wife. Uh, that And yeah, we were dating two different, it was really funny because we were dating two different people. And then when we got together, like you and I became really good friends because they were friends yep. and we've been pretty much friends ever since we reconnected uh, after we got married and everything. So really exciting. And yes, I uh, I do the Church Split podcast uh, YouTube channel. And you can, of course, find us in all the Facebook groups. Uh, we have a Church Split Facebook group. You can follow us on Twitter, TikTok and all the other socials. Much to my chagrin, but that is the way this industry is. So it is what it is. But I'm very awesome. happy to be here. Go ahead. I was going to say, awesome. Um, main Two big things we wanted to have Will on for, and um, we'll get to meet Will's other half of the show in a couple of weeks. But um, one, obviously, we're here to tell people stories about how they've gone through renovation processes. Uh, and you've gone through a lot. In fact, you've gone through so much change, you decided to do one of your famous church split rebuttals against yourself. Uh, that is true. That was an absolutely terrific episode. And then the second reason, um, aside from just wanting to hear your story, is 
you guys also deal with this issue kind of from the front lines. Um, your channel really became popular because of your rebuttals um, when and people who did apostatize, which is, is what we're trying to fight against, um, especially public figures would come out and, and, and apostatize. And you guys said, you know, hey, a, a public thing like this needs to have a public response. And so you guys kind of became the face of doing those responses. And uh, that was really what cued me into the need, uh, because the more I got on social media, the more I saw this side of deconstruction leads to apostasy. Deconstruction leads to apostasy. And there's so many stories out there that aren't being told of the people who go through these great big changes, whether it's because of trauma through study or whatever the case may be. But something shakes the foundation, but they don't. And so we wanted to highlight that. And uh, so because we're highlighting those stories, I thought, why not bring on the guy that I know who's kind of dealt the most into that world? And so that brings us to tonight. Right. And so I uh, appreciate that. And, yeah, we do tend to serve a lot on the front lines of that area of the faith, especially those who leave the faith. There's even been some popular and famous people recently who have left the faith that we have not been able to do a response video yet just to scheduling and a lot of other issues going on in the personal lives that have complicated that recently. But uh it's one of those things that for me, same thing, is was a big passion for me. Um, so I guess I should probably just explain why it's a passion for me. And I, I guess you have to go all the way back to the year of our Lord, 1991, back when I was born. <laughs> uh so um, I was born in a Christian home, uh, with both my parents, but the problem is my Christian home wasn't, it was Christian kind of a name only. Uh, we, but my, my dad was a kind of a guy who grew up blue collar, um, with, for a blue collar family. He works blue collar now. And my mom came from a very rough background. So they kind of were like Christians who just, you know, they didn't have a lot of opportunity to study theology. They didn't have a lot of those, those, those opportunities. So they, and because of my dad's rough background, he found security in a lot of the strictness of, of religion. And so we went to, uh, independent fundamental Baptist churches, essentially my entire growing up life. And what does that mean? Um, well, it depends. Uh, we call it IFB for short. So independent fundamental Baptist. Uh, it's a very, that's actually where Jeremy, the host of this podcast, uh, that's where we met was at an IFB college. Uh, and so, and now there's, of course, a distinction between the IFB kind of movement and then just being a general independent fundamental Baptist, because there's a lot of there's a reason why they're called independent, because there is certain levels of independence. But and that's why there's even there's even like groups of it. There's different flavors. Right. I, I went to Crown College. So there's like the Crown College flavor of IFB. There's the Bob Jones, who are the liberal types. And then you had like the the Hiles Anderson, who are the extreme you went ones. To Crown, you are a liberal. Yeah, see, see, that's where you're from. <laughs> so it's important to note the fact that that is, we were raised in a in I was raised in an environment where uh, anything that was contemporary was evil. Uh, drums were considered worldly. Uh, girls were encouraged or forced to wear skirts and dresses. Boys, we were continually told we had to wear a certain type of jeans, like usually Wrangler jeans or carpenter jeans uh, and, or khakis. Like we weren't able to wear anything that was stylized. Uh, we couldn't go to movie theaters. Movie theaters were sinful. Uh, there was, uh, there's one thing after another. So many things were controlled. Now, my dad really thrived in that environment uh, as far as that church, but at home, things were very different. 
different. So at home, we were, uh, my, my dad was a classic blue collar man, uh, quick to, quick to speak. Well, he knew all the, all the four letter words and quick tempered, you know, all the whole nine. And so, and then my mom was, uh, very unstable due to her background as well. And so what ended up happening is that over time, I'd go to a very strict church that we were highly involved in. I was homeschooled, so I didn't have many other uh, social outlets. Um, so I'd go to church and deal with that strictness and come home and deal with like the flip side. And my, ho- my home actually became increasingly abusive. And I don't say that in a light way. Um, just a few things that I always kind of list off to make it easy to give people at least a quick picture. Um, when my, I held my mom down while she was being arrested at the age of 14, um, I was held, I, there was a gun that was loaded at one point in the house. Um, my dad, my dad beat me. Uh, I defended myself against my dad and gave him two black eyes, a broken nose and a concussion. Uh, that was a, that was a fight. Um, so that was a, some of the inward home turmoil. Okay. Um, and I don't want to get into all the, the, the craziness of what was going on there, but needless to say, I had problems. I had a lot of issues. My brother had a lot of issues. So did my sister. My parents both had issues. Everyone had issues in this house, in this household. And it took me a while to kind of process through that. Um, I, if anyone knew me back in the day, I was pretty easy to get along with, but I was very defiant. Uh, and I was very quick tempered and I had no problem fighting you if I needed to. I, that's just the way I was. Um, so when I was dealing with that, what I, I was very, I hated church. I hated going to church because how strict it was. Now, keep in mind, the church was that strict, but my home wasn't. So it really was this very difficult thing to navigate. But at the same time, I, my dad did take on some of the rules of the IFB, like witchcraft is evil. Therefore, you can't watch Lord of the Rings. But Chronicles of Narnia is pretty cool. You know, that was it was one of those. Like, how would you miss that? Like, oh, or, so like the Anglicans are good, but the Catholics were bad. Right, exactly. <laughs> so it's on that same vein. And so we kind of had to deal with a lot of that growing up where I didn't really know where the line was. I constantly was confused because I was told one thing and pushed very adamantly one direction at the church. And then at home, so like certain things were flexible. But my dad also didn't like me listening to like modern music. But then at the same time, he would come, you know, rolling in, blasting, you know, Boston or Bon Jovi or Journey. Like, I had no idea where any of the lines was because clearly it was hypocritical and contradictory. Uh, Made it very difficult to navigate. And so what ended up happening is over time, because I was so angry at my church uh, and the things I was dealing with there. um, And just to kind of paint some of the picture, I mean, if anyone's been familiar with IFB churches, you should know how this rolls. But there was one time uh, we were on a missions trip to help some missionaries in New Mexico, and we were all upstairs in this uh, in this house. And what it was is that was the last day of the missions trip. So the my youth pastor and his wife choke, went out with the missionary couple for dinner. And then they're like, all right, so we're going to leave all, all you teens here, and here's the rules. Uh, the only co-ed place you guys can be is the main living area. Boys, you can be in the basement. Girls, you can have that other side of the house. This is your one co-ed area because the kitchen and the balcony and like the living room was all kind of attached. You know, it's one of those open concept areas. And so it was a beautiful night in New Mexico. If you've ever been to New Mexico, you guys know how beautiful the skyline is there. Uh, just because it's flat and clear. So a lot of us were hanging out on the balcony and we we're just hanging out, minding our own business. And, uh, uh, and the missionary and youth pastor came back. They went upstairs and what happened is that 
everyone on the balcony left the balcony and went back to the living area to hang out with the youth pastor and everyone. Well, I was out on the balcony still finishing a conversation with a young lady at the church. And I turn around to leave the balcony and I start getting laid into by the youth pastor's wife about how inappropriate it was that I was out on the balcony with a, with a girl. Now, you have to keep in mind that this balcony is directly attached to the living room with wide open glass like doors. Like you can see everything going on. Like I can see them. They can see me. It's like it's like you're talking with a window just between yeah. you guys. You know, so, and I, it was inappropriate. Suddenly, also, I remember I was told I was only allowed in the living room to be co-ed. And this, and, uh, and that was apparently too far was the balcony. And I was told I was deliberately disobedient, deliberately defiant. And I was like, actually, I feel like it was vague because the kitchen and all of this kind of attached. So we kind of got the, all of us assumed this general area was okay. And it became a thing for weeks. I was, I was demanded to apologize, all sorts wow. of stuff. Like it was a, a lot of, Issues. There's also like a young lady who was going to the church for a little bit from a divorced home and she got a beautiful dress to wear to sing at the church. But because it was like just above the knees, right before she sang, she was told she had to go home and change. Come to find out, she never came back. Weird, right? So uh, all this legalistic garbage. So I began to really despise church. I went into the world. I did a lot of worldly things, a lot of things that are really foolish and stupid, but I did them anyway. And I hung out with some friends that were not the best of influences. And then what I ended up doing was uh, I hit rock bottom there because I hated church. I hated home. And then I hated my friend group because my friend group was also toxic. So yeah. what ended up happening was I uh, I hit rock bottom and I finally was like, God, if you're real, it was just kind of one of those like, if you're real, I don't even know anymore. Reveal yourself to me. Mm-hmm. And I uh, went to the Bible and I opened it up and I just started kind of, and I flipped it open to John chapter 14 to this day. It's one of my favorite passages, if not my favorite passage, because it's all about Christ's love and the love of God and how he goes to prepare a place for you because he loves you. And it, it hit, and I can say this, I've read that passage many times, of course, as an Awana kid and stuff, but this time it hit different because I finally, and I started, then I became obsessed with reading through the gospels. Wait, wait, suddenly, hold on. Go ahead. So you were an Awana kid? Yes. How far did you make it? I got the meritorious because I'm a boss. I was an Awana kid when we lived overseas. The church I grew up in didn't have it, so I only made it through Sparky's. But uh, that that's yeah. Thank you. Uh, that 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 brings back memories. So anyway, continue. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. Um, anyway, it hit different, and so I realized that. So I became obsessed with reading through the Gospels, and I realized. The picture of God that was painted for me was not the right picture. Yeah. It was a very different picture. And once I started like just reading it, now keep in mind, I'm a 17-year-old from an IFB background, from a family that's not very theologically inclined. I, I'm reading it, and I might not understand everything going on, but I've seen it's a different picture. So then I started kind of dabbling into my Christian liberty more, and this started causing contention. And then I decided I was going to... I surrendered to ministry. I was like, I'm going to be a pastor. But I want, instead of being this legalistic guy, I want to show the world that um, uh, an actual moderate view of Christianity, like how you can be a good Christian and still follow the Bible, but maybe not take on all those precepts. However, I never had so many precepts I still had, uh, had going with me. I had a lot of baggage. So I didn't realize at the time that, you know, King James onlyism so fringe and crazy. I didn't realize all, uh, that 
I still had weird, like, IFB, IFB hermeneutical habits. Like, I, I viewed it in a very, char- like, Ryrie dispensational way. So what I ended up doing was I went to uh, Independent Baptist College uh, by the name of Fairhaven Baptist College, because the reason why I went to Baptist College is still was because I still was under the impression that everything I was taught was must have been true on the in the area that all other colleges are liberal, like Liberty University, liberal, any of them, liberal. <laughs> um, so I went there and I realized quickly that these are a whole other level. They're the Hiles Anderson type crowd. They are crazy, more extreme. I mean, you had it too check in. I had to clock in and clock out of my dorm. I had to check with security before I came on the premises and left the premises. I had way strict everything. Uh, there was a curfew and there was also wake, a mandatory wake up time. Uh, like all, it was like boot camp. Like, and they also even so made you like, did they give you the location of area 51? No, they did not. Sadly. Uh, I was looking the whole time. <laughs> and so then I went, uh, I left that place and I went to crown college where you and I became friends. Um, and then it was actually there that for, all for of the it, record, I was not in attendance. <laughs> no, 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 you were not in attendance. You were just, you'd come around once in a while to see your lady friend who is no longer your lady friend. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, you did not marry her, but, um, so this is actually when for me, and I say all that to say this, this is when the cracks really started to, to show because as someone who grew up in a house where I, we constantly fought my, I mean, if you read the book, the book a child called it that was basically my brother i literally had to physically fight to protect my brother from my parents especially my mom um my mom was crazy uh she now has like early onset dementia so i'm realizing a lot of the habits that she had were actually from a breaking brain back then um but it was not a good environment it was horrible i I watched um we did foster care too by the way uh and every single child that came in was uh physically uh abused by my mom. One child was like five years old and raked over rocks. And I'm not kidding. Um, in the yard. I mean, there's this horrific stuff, stuff that's like, I kind of forget about how extreme it is until like you take a second to think about it. You go, wow, that was actually really bad. Like that's not okay. And of course I took on a lot of toxic tendencies as well. And those toxic tendencies, I know I hurt many people as well. Um, and that's not good because I lashed out on others or, um, you know, but mostly, mostly that, like mostly a lot of selfish lashing out. Me and my brother got into a physical altercation at one point, put a nice hole in the wall. That was a good time. Uh, so things like that were, and then, so I, when you go through all that, um, you become, it kind of hardens you, but not necessarily always in a bad way, but this currently was probably too much of a bad way, but I was kind of, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder about it. And then I go to go to college where they're supposed to be, where you know, we're the great example of Christian living and all this. And all that was there was hypocrisy. I could name you rule after rule after rule that the, that, that the student body was held to, but not these people, but only some of the, the student body was held to. And then, well, we're going to do this and this. It was all the micromanaging parts of it where like you weren't even allowed to be an adult. They treated you like you were still in sixth grade and then seeing like, They'll ask for like students to give more money after your tuition, but to just donate money to help with the place when, you know, their pastor's rolling in in a Mercedes, stuff like that, where you're just like, yeah, this feels dirty. Or like, hey, we just. To, in, in, in their defense, um, I, I know almost every secular college does that, too. Their presidents are rolling around in, in lots of dough and they're calling their alumni like every year saying, hey, donate, <laughs> donate, donate. 
And I've got exactly. Mine doesn't call because I, you know, don't care <laughs> uh, <laughs> because I know I'm broke because I got a degree there. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, not to justify what that that habit, but you know, I think every college does that. But they're especially in ministry when you're raising up people. And I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad was a missionary and then a missions pastor. And I know how I didn't know then my parents were very good at, at making things work. Um, and, and God did a lot of miracles, I think, but, um, I know how difficult it is in that world to be a pastor and, and have that salary and, and how off, how low it can be. So to then turn around and, and ask these people who are, you know, bivocational, they're trying to raise families to turn around and give you money back after paying for a tuition that isn't even accredited most of the time, that's got some problems. It's a big ask. But the other thing would be like, we were required to, you know, at the beginning of every semester, you'd get a book, a book list, right? These are the books you need for your classes. Mm -hmm. And then mid semester, Pastor Sexton would finish his book, which is really more like a published transcript of his sermons. And they would require suddenly mid semester, like, Hey, everyone, you need to buy this book. It's 15 or $20. And, you know, you figure if you have 800 students, that's a big chunk of revenue out of nowhere. And I just was like, well, why, why am I required to buy this? It's not for any of my classes. And like, you need to buy it's required. Otherwise you get X amount of demerits and demerits were naughty points. They eventually get to, could get you kicked out. I looked at them at as freedom points. Like I got a certain amount of points I had to spend. And then I, <laughs> then I <laughs> but Things like that, where it's just like, what? It, uh, or when we had missions conference, all the uh, the pastors would come, and then the faculty got like these nice tables, and they put them in a certain spot, and then they literally had like a walled off kind of like area. They'd be like, students, you eat over there. Yeah. Oh, but we need, or you guys need to the tables. I'm like, what the heck? Like, there's a lot of things like that that was happening. I just realized uh, I'm like, and I'm just seeing this continual hypocrisy of so many things. Plus, even the character differences, like some of the way they would act toward people, like a good friend of mine managed their kitchen there or what uh, and at the time worked at the kitchen in there. And like Sexton would come in and snap on people regularly. He'd be like, oh, oh this cook, this food you've been cooking for the entire group. I don't like it. I want something else. And they have to reset the entire menu just because he was in a different mood that day after they've been slaving for a few hours on getting everything ready. So things like that really, it really hit me. Like when I say hit me, I mean, I became very disenfranchised with it. I dropped out uh, of crown. My, my wife finished, it was her senior year. She finished out and I was so disgusted with the place. I didn't really know what to do at this point due to my, the abuse of growing up due to, um, due to the abuse of growing up due to the extremely legalistic church and the hypocrisy I experienced here. Cause here's the other thing that youth pastor and his wife, remember how the wife was freaking out over uh, how inappropriate it was. I was on the balcony with some girl alone, even though everyone could see us because it's right there. Uh, she ran off with another dude's husband, uh, another woman's husband. Like she left, she left her husband and went with this guy who and her and the, uh, the, my youth pastor were actually counseling their marriage. And then while mid counseling the marriage, my youth pastor's wife ended up going with her, that lady's husband, and they ran off together. Like, that's a, like, you get this, like, like, this is just disgusting. And no one means a single thing that they say. And 
I was so disenfranchised. I think that hypocrisy that a lot of people experience in the church can really just turn them off to the faith entirely. So what I had to do is I had a kind of a come to Jesus moment, (laughs) if I can use that term, uh, in a little punny way. And I just sat there, like my wife and I, we were first married and I was like, I just don't know what to do anymore. Like I just go to church. I see hypocrisy everywhere. I see just something about contradiction. And it's like, I get it. We're humans. We're all going to contradict ourselves. No one's perfect. Right. I'm not expecting perfection, but I'm just saying it's like, it's blatant hypocrisy that we don't seem to be trying to correct. Well, like we said, you rebutted yourself earlier. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's what I mean, right? Like, we're, we're I mean, good to contradict, right? I mean, you're not yeah. perfect. No. That's I fine. I am not but... Mr. Always Right. I don't know where the sign is today, but, you know, I am not Mr. Always Right. Um, I, in fact, I was actually um, working with another person who we're interviewing, and I told him that I recently went back and listened to one of my old sermons that I preached, and it was so nice to be able to say, I stand by 98% of what I said, but that mm-hmm. 2%, I have vastly changed my position on. I made a statement that I would never endorse today. And that was just three years ago. Right. And that's, and that's like two years ago. And you're going to change and that's okay. And also you're going to do sin, right? You're going to do wrong. But the difference is how do you respond to that wrong? And that was the thing I had to deal with. And so I remember my wife and I were just trying to figure out how, where we stand. And what, for me, it was one of this, the, the big issue for me came down to the King James only issue. So I was like, look, I know that the, because I was like, I'll never stop using the King James Bible was my mindset. Like it's the infallible word of God. All the others are perfect. This is the right version. All the other perfect versions, uh, that whole nine. And, and so then I, I kind of came down to where I was looking at. It, I was like, okay, I had a lot of questions about a lot of things. And one of the things I was finally was like, how do I even know that the King James is the right standard? How do I even know that this is accurate at all? Like, who said that one day in, in, you know, 1611, that this is the time that it became the right Bible? So what I ended up doing was I ended up doing an in-depth study. I picked up a book uh, for the first book was James White's King James Only Controversy. I Googled it at the time, just trying to figure out where do I even start? And I found this book because I kind of know who this guy is. That's what James White. Um, and that was also my discovery of Reformed theology. And I was like, wow, that stuff's crazy. I can't ever get behind that. But I studied the, the book and then I just dove into other studies. I started just, I was pulling up uh, like all the pictures of the different manuscripts. I was comparing them. I was doing all sorts of stuff, just trying to make sure I understood it. Then I realized that the Christian history has so much more depth and richness to it than I was ever taught. Oh, yeah. And this is where things really got real for me personally. And this is where the idea of is you don't want to. During this time, we keep talking about deconstruction, deconstruction, deconstruction. And deconstruction almost always leads to apostasy nowadays, it seems like. And it really should be deconstruction into reconstruction, or as we call you call on this podcast, renovative, renovating faith. How do I renovate this room? How do I renovate this house that I'm living in called faith? And I need to maybe look in the mirror and realize I don't know everything. And you know what? If my church was wrong on a couple things, and this is what I what really hit me. If my church was wrong on the issue of music, if they were wrong on the issue of movie theaters, dress code, all these different things, then who's to say they're not wrong about every other doctrine that they were teaching? Okay. So then what I needed to do at this point, because now I don't know what to believe. There's all these other denominations out there too. So I had to start stripping away my beliefs. All right. First off, do I, can I even trust the Bible? Is it even reliable? 
So I went through a whole thing of New Testament studies and historical studies on that, and same with the Old Testament studies on that, and the textual history thereof, and their reflection of each other throughout the throughout the um, ages. Of course, I realized that the vast majority of um, errors, if we can use the term in textual history, were really just tiny variants, and that, of course, over time, more words were added to the text uh, and not and not taken away like people seem to yeah. think. We have a tendency to add over time. So instead of saying Jesus, someone might have inserted our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because they're trying to show him utmost reverence when they when they copied the text. Yeah. Or they might have a tendency to um like import uh a passage from another passage. Yeah. Uh because like if I say, you know, for God so love the world you naturally in your brain just went that he gave his only begotten son, right? So if you already know, right, if you're doing the King James. And so you will naturally import, right? Like, so you might be copying a manuscript and then you go, oh, I know this part. And you keep going. Well, that wasn't actually technically in that one, that manuscript. That may have been something from the Gospel of Matthew, but not necessarily the Gospel of Luke. Uh, So things like that. And once I started realizing this, I was like, all right, I think there's a good reason that we can say at least the Bible's textually accurate. Like, I think like, uh, even like the, some of the more like loose people say like 95% accuracy rate, something along that nature. It's been a long time since I looked at the number, but I want to say it's like, we're pretty sure that New Testament wise, we've reconstructed about, about it to a 95% accuracy, which by the way is very high compared to most ancient texts so um stupid high that's why no one else can even get close to believing that it it, why it's so hard for people just to dismiss i should say the new testament scholarship because we also have thousands more manuscripts than we do most everyone else uh if you go by non-christian sources as well we have more non-christian we have more uh, testimony, like more testimony of in the gospels, like more gospel manuscripts than we have of secular people like Caesar, even or others. So, anyway, lo- you, you have a, a really cool series on your channel, um, Unapologetic. And I think it was in that series you talked a little bit about this that we have more reason to believe from documentation that Jesus was a real person than that Shakespeare was. Exactly. Absolutely. And Shakespeare lived what, four or 500 years ago. Yep. If he and, was- then, and that's why the idea of like a, Christ, a Jesus mythicist who believes that Jesus wasn't even a real person, it's just a myth. This is absolutely historically absurd. Like, I, I, why we even give people that platform, I don't even know, because you are, you are having to go outside of all historical verification to get to that level. So anyway, so then what I ask myself is, okay, what makes me a Christian? How do I know that Christianity is even true? Yeah. Right. So, all right. Okay. Well, cool. So the Bible's accurate, at least within itself. Like we can, we can trace its text to at least a 95% accuracy rate, which is really high. But how do I know that the accuracy rate of those manuscripts reflects any, have any bearing on its claims? Right. That's a different question. It's not how accurate, like we can trace back the Quran to a certain point of accuracy, but how reliable is the Quran itself to the events in reality? And by the way, uh, there's a man named Uthman who based, I think that's how you say his name, Uthman, uh, basically during this time, there was a time of reformation in Islam. And uh, he basically had all of the Qurans gathered up and destroyed and reprinted essentially a, a new Quran. It's like, this is our new standard now. And that new standard, now everyone has to use. 
So even the Quran we have today, all the Muslims today have to hope that Uthman got all the claims right. But we don't have that problem with Christianity because we can go so far back and compare over so many regions and time hit, time periods. However, what about the claims themselves? So first I had to ask myself a question, because here's my thing, is if you are renovating your faith or you're going through doubts, you need to start from the ground level. The first question, because Christianity is a claim about God, right? It's There's a lot of claims about God. I mentioned Islam a second ago, but there's also Judaism and a lot of other religions that all claim God. Okay, great. So first off, I have a good reason to even believe in God in the first place. So before I can even get to the question of Christianity, I have to ask myself that. And these were the things I was going through because I wanted to make sure that if I if what was right is right, <laughs> I have to know. Um, so that's a different question entirely. So what I did, do I have good reasons to believe in God? So this is when I got into the general arguments for God's existence, like the Kalam cosmological argument, which everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. God is the best explanation for the universe's existence. The big point is it begins to exist. We have evidence that the universe began to exist. Therefore, it has to have a cause. Well, if that's when time, he and uh, time, space, and matter began, then something, whatever caused it must have been outside of time, space, and matter because you need all three of those things to even exist at once. It's called the continuum. But anyway, um, that's a bit, I always hear Kent Hovind say that and it drives me nuts because I'm not a Kent Hovind fan at all. But, uh, but there is a truth to that matter too, right? Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. But uh, I just so, watched his debate recently with um, Inspiring Philosophy, and I was just like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, Michael Jones murdered him. It, it, um, such a good, such a good debate if you uh, side, are on, on Michael's side. <laughs> so. Yes, right, exactly. Um, so it comes down to uh, so that everything that began to exist has a cause. Um, so the Kalam cosmological argument, of course, many people are familiar with the work of Dr. William Lane Craig, which that was like a specialty was exploring that there gets into a whole thing of, um, like of examples of like an infinite hotel with an infinite number of rooms that are all booked. Uh, that gets really fascinating. But so then there's that, then there's the teleological argument, you know, the argument from design that there's a, that, you know, everything that is designed must have a designer, that kind of concept. And that, that gets really deep. Is- I don't know the facts to it, but the teleological argument is my personal favorite. I, I teach on Mondays an apologetic class to junior high and high schoolers. And I told them this is my favorite one. And I said it will often not bring you to Christianity, but it is the strongest. And I actually used it against a guy who used to be a Christian who who claims to be an atheist now. And I mentioned that one. He goes, I honestly believe that's the strongest arguments Christians have. But it doesn't defeat the purpose of evil. And I'm like, well, it, or the problem of evil. And I said, the teleological argument isn't supposed to defeat the problem of evil. Right. It's just it's supposed one to of the best arguments to say that atheism is extremely flawed. Right. Uh, and, and your story reminds me a lot of uh, – I was trying to find the quote. C.S. Lewis in Surprised by Joy was giving his testimony, and he said, you know, C.S. Lewis was raised in the church. He became an atheist, which you didn't do, but – um, you know, and then he, he was reading these books and I think it was, he said he found Chesterton, his writing to be reasonable. Um, and then he said, I found the teachings of Christianity to be reasonable, but I didn't find Christians to be reasonable. Then Very I found true. Christians to be reasonable. And then he said, then I found, I, I'm going to get this way wrong, but it was like, Christ, he went through three stages of, I found this to be reasonable, except it was like, I found Christianity to be reasonable, except for Christ. 
Then I found Christ to be reasonable except for this. And then next thing you know, he's saying, I became a Christian because I believed, you know, and he just examined the writings and the teachings. And uh, anyway, you're, He's one of my favorite authors, but you, your story reminds me of him. Absolutely. Well, that's the thing. It's like, so the problem is I've noticed with a lot of people from a legalistic background, let's be honest, legalistic churches, their whole way of controlling you is by controlling your thought processes. They control your thoughts and they they control your behaviors. So what happens with a lot of people when they get tired of it, they snap and then they completely throw the baby out of the bathwater. You can't control me. I'm going to think for myself. But what they don't realize is when they do that. So first off, a lot of people haven't really given it much thought as to why they left the faith, whether they should leave the faith in the first place or just leave that particular brand of Christianity. Because that is a different question as well. Because bottom line is, if Christ rose from the dead, Christianity is true. If there's a God, you you should at least give that some sort of thought and consideration. If there is God, then you at then and there's a good reason to believe in Him. Then you better act like God exists. These yeah. are big questions, and I'm amazed at how many people will just completely throw it out without researching it otherwise. Because what I have found, because if anyone knows the church split and the ministry I do, is that I have funded like I have beat people and extreme fringe groups of fundamentalists r- like regularly attack us and levy bombs at us, and the reason for that is because we have pushed against that, but. Yeah, but bottom line is because I have, I am equipped with good reasons for God's existence and have done and studied the scripture a little bit more thoroughly. I can actually punch back harder at them because I can use, in a sense, their own authority of the Bible against them. Oh, yeah. But this time with more precision and a better and more accurate view of reality. And it's like people ask all the time, like, what's the best way we can combat legalism? I'm like, stop being legalistic and learn the material better than them. And then you can start redeeming the name of Christianity. So anyway, uh, real quick. And then I so here's the other thing. So the other arguments for God that stuck out to me, one, the arguments for meaning, because if you're a space accident, they all this happened by accident. Everything's just action or reaction. There's no meaning to life. You're just an accident. That's all you are. That's all you'll ever be. You're pretty self-aware space dust. That's pretty much it. Uh, And then if you get into the question of morality, and C.S. Lewis, you mentioned him. He talks about this too, right? How do I know a line is crooked if not that I know what a straight line is? All right. So that means there's a moral, objective moral standard. Who is that standard? Who gets to claim it? We can't say I do, because if I become the authority of uh, of morality for all of mankind, then who's to stop any kind of evil from happening, right? That's what Hitler did with the Nazis. I don't want to bring up the Nazis, right? But that's actually true. He built a new standard for morality. And so we can't say people do it because we do a very bad job at developing morality. Uh, you look at what Japan did to Nanking. You look at what uh, America did to Africans. You look at what, shoot, what Americans did to the Chinese and the Irish. Uh, you look at what uh, the Roman Empire did. You look at what uh, like the um, Aztecs did to each other down in South America. We are horrible at dictating our own morality. So you can't say that, oh, I could, I, I, I love it when people tell me, well, I don't need a book to tell me what's right and what's wrong. I'm like, apparently we do because we're pretty bad at it. 
Then I, I, and on top of that, like, okay, well, maybe society develops it. Well, then you can't really get mad at society when society does wrong, like, well, does again, wrong things. I actually use that exact argument with my uh, my class in our, our second week because we went into the moral argument a little bit. And I said, if society dictates what's right and wrong, then Hitler was completely justified. Right. Because he convinced the German people, the German people were on board. So as a society, they all agreed. Now, the society they were inflicting didn't agree, but who's to say who's right? Especially if you're just an accident. Accidents don't have meaning and they don't have morality. They just are. So there's this inconsistency as well with people who want to leave the faith where they want to have an objective moral standard to say, oh, that my IFB or legalistic background was abusive. They were mean. They were evil. They were harsh. They were hypocritical. But you're, you're measuring that against some sort of moral compass. Yep. But what is your what is it that you you draw that by as as the pre supper pre like to say by what standard you know but it is actually a good question to ask how do you know what is moral and who gets to dictate that the only consistent way we can really truly bring it, if we all agree that there is an objective true for everybody moral standard like it's always wrong to torture kittens then that means someone it must be the lawgiver and there's a standard above mankind because otherwise when someone tortures kittens you can't really get upset if mankind is the only standard yeah so because if everyone really, does it and mankind is the standard then mankind can't be wrong exactly so uh then it starts your preferences and opinion at that point uh in other words if your morality is subjective then your moral outrage bears no weight yes. so it, it, that that really struck me as someone who's a uh an abuse victim and has hurt so, many people himself real quick basically so i'm actually pulling this from my uh sorry my thing's going weird here my uh, this is actually our apologetics textbook that i teach from the five questions for affecting direction in life are origin where did we come from identity who we are meaning so you talked about a couple of these already what is real and true and how do we know and morality how should we live and finally destiny what happens next so essentially you started at the bare bottom just looking at the worldview itself yeah, I'm asking uh, questions on ontology, which is the nature yeah. of things, and epistemology, which is how do I know? And how do I and, know that I know? And I, I want to get at this really quick because I think it's really good to establish this early on. These five things are what every single religion seeks to establish mm-hmm. and answer. These five things are also what atheism seeks to answer. Absolutely. Okay. So you will see a false dichotomy presented between atheists when when they're attacking, or it's not between atheists, but when an atheist is attacking and they'll say, we believe in science, you believe in faith or fairy tales. And they'll say these things like that. Okay. They have just as much evidence as you do. And and one of my favorite quotes, I've been trying to get Will to put this on a t-shirt is facts don't care about your feelings. Okay. Um, you, you have to approach, you know, I think it's Ben Shapiro that says you're entitled to your own perspective. You're not entitled to your own set of facts. Okay. Ooh. Atheists get the same facts you do, period. And they are trying to answer the same questions that you are. They're doing it by faith. Right. They're still, I say all the time, everyone has a belief in something. Uh, This question is, what is your belief in? And do you have good reasons for that belief? Exactly. And and everyone is trying to answer those five questions. And so you, in your, your renovation process, you went down to the foundation and just said, okay, my worldview requires this. Is it reliable? Right. Absolutely. And that's where, and then you actually mentioned uh, one thing I wanted to get mentioned real quick is even without God, you can't, it becomes difficult to even ground a knowledge 
yeah. uh, or free will. And so if you true, if you believe that you click to listen to this podcast today and you think you truly freely chose it, then God exists. And yeah. let me unpack that one for you. Um, so um, many people are aware that in the atheist philosophical world, um, the vast majority of atheists are what we call determinists. In other words, everything was is determined by external factors. So that means you are nothing but your nature that you're born with and your nurture, how you're raised. So you're essentially a, a meat computer to one degree or other that, depending on your environment and your nature, is programmed and disposed already to particular thoughts and behaviors. Yeah. So what that means is that while I am thinking I am pondering something, my outcome will always be what was determined to be based on my nature and my nurture. So I think I'm making a decision, but really it's an illusion. That's why the famed atheist Dr. Sam Harris wrote a book called The Illusion of the Will. Because on determinism, you don't have a free will. You don't make choices. You are just action, nothing but action and reaction. And you are funny. nothing but the sum of your parts. I was watching a debate, and I can't remember if it was William Lane Craig or Braxton Hunter, but they were going on on a debate. And it, there's a, a channel, and I think the guy's British that hosts it. So it's a really fun channel. Um, but I can't remember what it is, so I can't post it or anything for you. I'm sorry. but uh, And this guy literally says the illusion of free will is necessary for our – like you have to believe you have free will, but you don't really have it. Well, if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, and quacks like a duck, it's not a goose. If you th- If it looks like free will, if you have the ability to debate in your mind what you should or shouldn't do, I've been approached in the same circumstances two different times – and chosen differently. Now, one could say that because I chose one way, the first, you know, to quote Indiana Jones, he chose poorly. Uh, you learned your lesson and thus by nurture are determined to choose the other. But how many times have I been disciplined or been burned or we talked briefly in the, the pre-show uh, electrocuted and I still do the same stuff? You know, right. times did the children of Israel repeat the same mistake over and over and over and over you can't tell me that there's nurture involved in that when they're doing the same thing. Well, the problem is that uh, um, everyone assumes it, right? So everyone assumes free will. They all know, inherently know it. Uh, or otherwise you go crazy, right? You lose your mind. Uh, and then you think about it as well. So and then on top of that, atheists, a lot of times I noticed, kept calling themselves free thinkers. Well, we're just free thinkers. We felt, we actually freely think and freely weigh the evidence and go wherever it leads. Are you determined to be a free thinker? Yeah. And it's like, well, if you're determined, if everything is based on external form of force and you're nothing but the sum of your parts and uh, action and reaction and nature and nurture, then you aren't a free thinker. You're a pre-programmed thinker. Actually, you're not even a pre-programmed thinker. You're just a pre-programmed behaving, behaving yeah. robot. Like, that's all you really are. Uh, Frank Turek, a famed apologist, calls them meat robots. And um, a lot of people take objection to his style, but he's not incorrect. <laughs> no. Because And Dr. Tim Stratton and quite a few others have pointed out the only people who actually get a firm free will and actual ability to choose otherwise or to choose between a better or worse response are people who are theists who believe that God created mankind with a will and thereby have a soul to choose. Um, that's what, so these, that's how you know, yeah, you can know things because if you are truly an autonomous being with free will and a mind that can think, then you can gain information, you can weigh information. But if I can't do that because I am nothing but the sum of my parts, 
uh, and physicalist naturalism is true, then I have no justification for even my thought process. I can't even say I know things. So um, because it's just what I know, do I really know what I know? Because for all I know, all this could just be an illusion of my will. So it becomes a problem. And so these were some of the basic foundations that I had to lay. Uh, I'm like, all right, I, there's some really good reasons to believe in God. Not only that, the, no one wants to admit nowadays that your belief system has a philosophical price tag, but it does. It has one. And if you have a problem with like legalistic backgrounds and stuff like that, you should know that because their belief system comes with weight. It has a price tag to it. Therefore, so does atheism and if you and unbelief or agnosticism, because what that just turns into is, well, now you have no grounding for morality, meaning, uh, free will, uh, knowledge. You have no, no real grounding for origin, for design. You don't have those things. It's all just accidental and it's all theoretical at that point. Yep. And if they, there's this like weird, pious, almost like, like fake humility with it. Like, well, I'm just humble enough to not to pretend I know all the answers because people seem to think that you're just doing God in the gaps with these things, right? You're just a certain God where we can't explain it, but really that's not it. It's actually the opposite. It's these things can't be explained except for God. So I'm actually taking like all these things like design, for example, that involves a mind, right? To design something involves a mind. And I don't ever see things happen by accident and suddenly a Ferrari is made. No, there's a designer. So I'm not doing a God of the gaps. I'm actually inserting what I know. There must be a mind that designed it. Uh, I'm taking things of what I do know to reach a conclusion. That's normal thinking. So these are all things I I was going through in my early 20s. And and I ended up taking a pastorate eventually. um, And I pastored a church. And that was actually, there's a lot of things that happened there as well. But then what I also started doing was going, but did Jesus Christ raise, did he, was he risen from the dead? Did he, was the right, resurrection true? Resurrection true. Once I realized, asked that question, then I had to start seeing what evidence do we have for that. And I found that we have a lot more than I thought. Originally, I went with the Gary Habermas approach, which is basically there are some basic facts that every scholar agrees, right? That Jesus Christ truly died, that he was buried, uh, that there was an empty tomb, and his believers truly believe that they saw a risen Christ. These are like some of the most basic things that even atheist scholars all agree. So then the question is, what, of course, is the best explanation for those things? And then a lot of people have come up with many explanations. Maybe someone hid the body, but um, that doesn't really explain all the evidence because then why did people die willingly when they know they hid a body? Like, like nope, just kidding. Uh, we just kind of made the whole thing up. Like, no, you want to die for a lie you set up. And people mix this up all the time. There's a difference between dying for a lie that you tell versus dying for a lie that you might believe in. You know, the I'm not a Muslim, so I believe the 9-11 bombers, they truly believed in their heart that they were going to inherit all the riches that Allah promised them. They believed a lie. Yeah. But it's different than them making up the lie and then crashing into the towers. You know what I mean? So that doesn't really, hiding body doesn't explain it. So people have come up with other approaches. Maybe Jesus fainted. (laughs) Maybe he didn't truly die. Well, that doesn't explain the data either, because all the data shows that the Romans were like professional executioners. They killed everybody with a 100% success rate. Um, So that's not a good explanation. Uh, 
What? Let's be, let's be real here. Have you ever been whipped by a cat of nine tails, nailed to a cross, beaten, had a crown of thorns shoved in your head, um, hanged there for six hours, cross for six hours, stabbed in the side with a spe- spear, and then wake up three days later without any blood, any cuts, you know, with with just a few scars? That is what killed that's what drives walking, me nuts. Walking around, <laughs> you wouldn't be doing too hot. <laughs> I'd be um, in a hospital bed. Right, and if and if you weren't just plain dead, because I don't know even with modern science if you would be able to live after that the maiming he received. I don't know that I'd want to. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, so then the other people are like, well, maybe it was a mass hallucination. But the other problem with that is there's never been any mass hallucination ever. There's only been like individual individualistic but, ones, not a group will, of people. Well, they only believe in facts in science. Right. So you see how they like in a sense they're they're appealing to their own set of miracles. Yeah. Um. So then the question is, is well, is there a good reason to believe in God? Because there's good reason to believe in God, then there's good evidence. There's good reason to believe that Christ rose from the dead. But then I didn't even realize that there's strong internal evidence. Because here's the thing: a lot of the resurrection story comes from the gospel accounts, which the question comes into: Are the gospel accounts truly eyewitnesses? These are other questions you have to ask yourself. Well, they have all the. All the conclusions that you'd expect from eyewitness testimony. They have slight variations in their accounts. They include weird details that the other ones don't. And sometimes they fit together like a puzzle piece. There's a really neat little, little, uh, little detail. Like in one, during the feeding of the 5,000, one of them mentions that it was the time of the Passover. And then the other one mentions that all the, that they all sat on patches of green grass. You go, okay, what's the big deal about that? Well, have you been in the Middle East? Have you seen green grass? Not often. Yeah. Guess guess the only time that that would take place. Springtime, Passover. So if it's very bad. So, but that's a that's not like oh man, we got to take our stories, make sure we're copying each other's homework to fool the masses. That's like a random inserted detail of like ah, green grass, passively, casually, just kind of mentioned in passing. And then this guy's like, yeah, around the time of the Passover, uh, we gather together. And then you connect them. You go, wait a minute, that only makes. That makes sense. These are corrupt. These are this, these are two eyewitness testimonies because that's what would happen if you and I witnessed a gas station robbery. You and I both saw this robbery. This gun was pulled, but when uh, when he entered the building, I saw him shove a lady to the side. And from the other angle, you said you saw a lady fall and a rack of food spill on the ground. Well, if somebody took my count, they're like a lady fell to the ground, and then someone saw yours. A uh, rack of food fell to the ground. A lady fell to the ground. They just go, lady definitely fell to the ground, right? Yeah. Uh, and so it's taking those kind of things where you're like, okay, they're both mentioning the same thing. And then, but when he pushed her over, let's say I also mentioned how at the time he pushed her over, he took candy from that rack before it fell. And you just mentioned that. And after he left, he took the money and you noticed that Reese's were gone. You didn't see him grab it, but that's, well, why are the Reese's gone? You might read it in your account, why are the Reese's gone? And then you read my account, I saw him take Reese's. You go, oh, that's why the Reese's are gone. That's exactly the kind of internal evidence we see all, all the time throughout the Gospels. So that's then I realized I have good reason for my belief for, for, to believe that God exists. And then I have strong reasons for Christianity. These are, by the way, just like scraping the, the surface. There's so much. And then I realized that the Christianity must be true. So when I was pastoring, I pastored with a lot of passion. 
And I experienced some serious church splits. Um, my church split multiple times. My wife and I experienced some of those horrific stories you'd ever hear in ministry. Uh, I found Christianity to be very reasonable, but I found Christians to be unreasonable, as you had mentioned before. Um, over crazy situations, I won't bore you. I have all those all those stories on the church split. You go check them out there. There's even more stories. Um, but the point is, is that what I did, and I encourage you to do the same, is if you're struggling, go back to bare bones. Don't throw it all out because there are good reasons to believe in God. And then there's also this other issue that a lot of that a lot of people, because again, when you're raised in IFB or some extreme parts of Christianity, you weren't really taught how to think. You were simply taught what to think, which usually means at this point, I'm not trying to sound mean or harsh, but you're not good at thinking. Yeah. You're just not. Right. It's a, it's kind of a muscle that you need to stretch. Right. Well, you think about it as a kid, my dad taught me so many times to look for basic things. And, and I remember him saying, I'm teaching you common sense. Right. Right. And that's exactly why, what that is. Why do you have to teach me what's supposed to be common? Cause it's not actually common. We have a system that's called common sense. And I had someone challenge me the other day, They're like, why do you look at the Greek and the Hebrew words? And they're like, I, I don't find that interesting. And I said, honestly, because as a teenager, I thought it was awesome when someone would always say, this is what the Greek word is. And so I still do it. Whether other people find it interesting or not, those people taught me how to dig into the book and find cross-references. And I recently did a sermon on rest. And I was actually, to prep for it, I was listening through um, Gentle and Lowly. And I do not recommend the book. It's a great book, but it's it, it started off like 90% awesome and 5 to 10% that the author is very reformed. Um, and then about halfway through the book, it flipped and got like 90% reformed. But he pointed out a really cool thing, and that's when Jesus said, uh, my burden or my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And and I sat down with my dad today before we recorded this, we were talking and, and I mentioned this, that word easy in the Greek is the same word in Ephesians 4.32, be ye kind. Now, my dad had, grew up in church. He's been a pastor since before I was born or in ministry since before I was born. Uh, so over 30 years, um, incredible student of the word. He always said, I'm a biblicist before I'm a Baptist. Um, I mean, and, and you've met my dad. I'm just incredible studier. No, knows what to do. Had never made that connection. And he looked at me, he's like, Oh, whoa, you know, I, and that's what that Greek gives you. And so for, you know, you learn things from people through that. So, uh, I forget exactly where you were at and where I was headed with that. No, but, no, you're good. No, because that's, a, that's part of the thinking process, learning yeah. how to think Yeah, because you might not be very good at it. And I'm not trying to like gaslight you and tell you, but you might not be. And it doesn't mean that your intuition is wrong about your situation. Maybe a belief that you're taught is insane, but maybe you're not very good at figuring out where all the ins and outs and distinctions are. So this is why I tell people all the time, slow down. Once you start noticing the problem, withdraw yourself from the situation and relax for a minute. Kind of give your mind a moment to reset and then start exploring things slowly. And I say that like, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't. Yeah. Using a good reasons. You need good reasons to believe one thing. And then if there's a topic you're interested in, put it on the shelf until later. Once you're ready, grab that off the shelf and study that topic. 
Uh, I went through a number of studies, as many people who follow the channel know. Uh, Jeremy's mentioned a few times. I gave the gospel message at, the, at one of my earliest uh, or earliest podcast episodes, and I, I, I uh, promulgated a view called penal substitutionary atonement. I now deny that view. So I did a video where I refuted myself. I said, this is what I did wrong. And I didn't realize that it's the problematic distinction. And that's okay. That's part of your growth process. Yeah. Never discount that. It's yeah. okay. Don't ever hate yourself for your past stuff you said. I have hurt many people because of some of the dumb things that came out of my mouth. Well, um, you know, I mentioned that sermon earlier. Uh, I made a statement that was straight up replacement theology. I didn't even realize it was replacement theology at the time. And, um, you know, and I absolutely don't believe in replacement theology now, but, uh, and I don't know that I ever quite the opposite, you know, I probably did at one point believe in it, but you know, um, so yeah, that's part of growing and acknowledge the growth. and, And that's one of the things I love about your channel is you acknowledge where you've changed. You've acknowledged where you're wrong. And if someone comes at you and says, hey, well, you said such and such, you're like, uh, yeah, I did. And um, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> My bad. <laughs> because I that's Mr. Always Right. <laughs> no, I'm not. That's why I, that, actually I, that sign here that I had on there, Mr. Always Right, was a joke. We got it because yeah. I always, I'm very passionate. So I always argue. But I, I, if you kick my butt in an argument, you like just destroy me. I will change my position or at least go back and rethink it. Um, I've had my friend Jordan Ferry on. He's done that a few times to me, but I got, I had this, uh, this sign up and it was always a joke. Right. And I had people who actually thought I was like that arrogant where I thought I was always right. <laughs> And so people like comment on YouTube, like we all like, yeah, I've not listened to this guy. Is that area? I'm like, this must be a joke because I've been wrong a lot. You don't change your position on all things I've changed. I went from, I believe in that hell's eternal conscious torment to believing in conditional immortality where the soul's annihilated. I went from believing that we inherit Adam's guilt to not believing it. We believe in uh, inheriting Adam's guilt. I used to believe in penal substitution. I no longer believe in that. I could go on and on about all the things I've changed. uh, Let's see what else. I had a couple others in my mind, but um, of what inclusivism would be. Oh yeah, I, I went from exclusivism to inclusivism. Um, I never be went into Calvinism though. For, I will say that um, eternal security to not. I wouldn't call it conditional security because conditional security. I, I, I've used this description with a few people because. Again, this is a false dichotomy that that's presented, especially in the independent Baptist and, and in the Calvinists, is that you either believe you can you are eternally secure no matter what you do, or that you can lose your salvation for the littlest thing. And so I was right, t- and therefore work salvation. Yeah, right. And that, so that's I, the dichotomy. It's just I, not I, I the true people, dichotomy. I said there is a difference between that and what I call forfeiture of salvation. Absolutely. And, and I said, there's a big difference between losing your car keys and handing the keys back to the dealer. True. And I said, that's the, because, because I've had people be like, well, Will holds to such and such. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Straw man. Will does not hold to, to that. Will holds, you can give the keys back. Right. And that's exactly. I, I haven't taken an official stance. I believe that because there's a lot of scripture that says, be faithful to the end. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is an ongoing, continuous process. And, you know, if you look the war- at the warnings, day, when you really think about it, the warnings don't make any sense if it's just one and done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's not also performance based. It's yeah. 
It's faith. And the word faith is this idea of believing loyalty. Yes. So it's, I not only do I believe, but I'm loyal to you. Yeah. Doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect, but that means I'm loyal. And uh, I'm staying by your side despite my shortcomings. You guys will meet um, Brad Vasquez from Alternate Media in episode six. And he, I love it because on Alternate Media, they describe it as faith in the Hebrew is a verb. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of our audience, if, if you've been in Protestantism, very long, you'll know the term love is not a noun, love is a verb. You know, love is something that you do, not something that you feel. And in Hebrew, faith is something that you do. And and Seamus often says it's it would be the closest thing we have in English is to say you are faithing. Yep. You know, and that's really what James is trying to get at in James chapter one, um, when he talks about the dichotomy between of faith and works. And that, that beautiful, wonderful union. And, um, I say this often, you know, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is so quoted for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we stop there. But verse 10 says, and it's the same context. If you have a Bible that divides things up into paragraphs, it's the same paragraph says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Exactly. And that's the thing is where people don't get that aspect. And when it's all about you're not saved by works, it's saying that you can't do enough good deeds to get there. Yeah. That's what it's saying. It's not, a, you can't perform your way there. It's through faith. It's through your faithing. It's through your, your believing loyalty in God. And by loyal, you mean that you are, if I'm loyal to my wife, I'm going to be as faithful to her as possible. Right. And so and that's a challenge as a spouse. Like in what ways am I unfaithful to my spouse? Yeah. How can I be more faithful to my spouse? Uh, things like that. So I think people always just think sexually and it's more than that. So, oh, yeah. so these are just, these are things that like I had to build off of. And once I realized that, I realized that there are so many people being fooled and bamboozled. And that's why I think this yeah. podcast has a special niche because it, there's not a lot of podcasts that are addressing specifically the idea of renovation. Yeah. Um, a lot of them, there's a lot of apologetics channels. There's a lot of, uh, channels like mine, um, and stuff like that, but there's nothing that's there's, dealing specifically only with There's a lot of channels that deal with deconstruction, but they're all from people who have left the faith. faith. Yeah. Right. So the idea here is that, okay, I need to rebuild from the ground up here. Yeah. Um, so once you do that, you have some solid building blocks. And then what I did is I started going, now that I have a good reason to believe in Christianity, Who's right in Christianity? And that's when my studies of theology came in. And this is, so you said you don't believe in replacement theology. The reason why a lot of people don't believe, a lot of people reject replacement theology is because God made a, pro, uh, a promise to Abraham and Israel. Yep. And basically to replace it with a Gentile church would be to break a promise. That's one of the big reasons why a lot of people reject it. Yep. Um, so I was for the longest time a dispensationalist where I saw like a big difference between the, the church and Israel because it's the only way I could make sense of it all. And then I realized that even this whole like replacement theology versus dispensational theology is a false dichotomy as well. That there's a number of other things. And really, if you read yeah. the Pauline letter, the Corpus, like he talks about the expansion of Israel to the Gentiles. It's not really about distinction between yep. Jew or Gentile because there's no Jew or Gentile. That same covenant has just been expanded now. Yep. Um, so and it's funny. I was, I was talking to my wife about this and, and this is not a Torah observant episode by any means, but she was asking me some questions because, um, my wife and I agree on many things. Uh, this is a move that I have made that I have not required my family to make because I don't want to be a dictator. I want to lead by example. I'm going to live what I believe is right, but I have 
put standards on myself that I, I I'm if I put them on my wife, it just becomes a legalistic system, right? And I don't want to do that in my own home. But she said, you know, with every dispensation, God made a new new set of rules clear. You know, down from Adam to post-fall to Noah to Abraham to the law. And then with the Christians, it's it it's just it's just a spirit. There's no new clear revelation of what we're supposed to do. It's just lead by the spirit. But then you have the Baptists who lead by this spirit and the Pentecostals who lead by this spirit and the Presbyterians who have this spirit. She goes, what is it? And I started to answer. She goes, no, no, no. I know what your answer is. She goes, why does no one else give it? I said, because no one else wants to admit to it. Well, because I think that's there all. isn't a clear standard. I said, but what Jesus came to do was not to give a new dispensation as far as a new set of rules. It was to make a way for everyone to come to the kingdom. Whether you right, well, yeah, it was it was, uh, it was an invitation to the yeah. to the rest. Yep. So um, I don't want to get too nerdy on theology here because that could be that could get a really like really awesome. I, I I will talk theology for four hours. I don't even care. I love it. Oh yeah. Um, well. That's that's the main crux of my channel. So, um, but you're right. Like there's this there is like so I realize that because if you're raised in the evangelical world, you're pretty much. It's either your covenant theology and replacement or your dispensational. Those are like your only options. And there's kingdom theology and a bunch of others. Um, but mostly those are the main two that I, I heard. And I realized that that's a false dichotomy. And I started digging more and more in that. But the thing is, then now that I had good reasons to believe, I could, in a sense, comfortably explore Christianity. And the thing is, that that's why like I say, and I noticed this, if you're from like an IFB background like I was, I know it's a lot of people fell right back into a legalistic kind of structure by falling into like reformed theology and reformed theology has its own sense of like legalistic structure. If you see the behavior and the way they act in their circles and all those different things, there's like, it's got a lot of similar like stuff in the status quo. They're a little less strict where you can have a beer maybe, but they're, they got other things going on there. And you're allowed uh, to have facial hair. Yes. And you're allowed to have facial hair, but one of the things is like, you're still dealing with like weird contradictions all the time. You're still dealing with this idea of exclusivity, right? Cause you're, you're an elect. Um, but whether people want to admit all those things, they don't, I mean, that's another ball game, but I, I became also increasingly distressed and concerned with reform theology because of the, and again, of the issue of determinism and the lack of free, of free will. Cause then if there's no free will and God does exist, what evil happens? Whose fault is that? Well, if you don't have free will and all things happen by God's will, well, then God's the author of evil. Yeah. And these are and these are simple reductions that you can make. So I became dis- disturbed by that. So that's where my channel is also pushed against it because, like, I, one of the biggest things with Christianity is that it's the one that truly offers free will. Yeah, true freedom. And, and that's the reason I called you the reformer of the reformers. <laughs> I, I think some other people are better at it than I am, but I definitely, I definitely. I am in that fray, but I do try to reform the reformers and I have successfully a few and some not as much, but if nothing else, give them something to think about. But, uh, so the bottom line is though, is that as I was pastoring, I confronted the problem of evil directly because here's the other issue. And this is an internal critique. Now, let me quickly for your audience. Yeah. There's an ex, there's external critiques, which is when you're just saying the evidence doesn't line up, blah, blah, blah. Internal critique is saying, okay, great on your system. This doesn't make sense then. Yeah. For example, if God is perfectly good, he does all good things, why does evil exist? That's an internal yeah. critique of Christianity. And I've experienced a lot of evil, horrible, 
abusive upbringing. I was abused in every way uh, by the time I was 10 years old. Um, I experienced every form of abuse, I mean, by that. Um, I, when I was pastoring, I experienced horrific church splits where people levied their positions in the church to try to get different people fired. Uh, it revealed tithing, and infor- tithing information for political power. I'm not even kidding. Um, I saw um, families at each other's throats for the most petty of differences. I've seen people try to attack my livelihood while my wife's mother was dying and my wife was taking care of her dying mother for four months in, in Washington. And when you're experiencing that from Christians, and then, oh, I should mention, uh, people also attacked my family right after we experienced back-to-back miscarriages. And that was devastating. And I remember when my wife's mom was dying of cancer and everything bad was happening at the church and no one seemed to care about the well-being of my family. I was walking down my driveway and I thought to myself, this is, there's a lot of evil right now. And I thought, can God even be real? So I, I asked myself back to a question I asked myself 10 years ago. And because, you know, sometimes those questions crop up, like Habakkuk, right? Habakkuk asked those questions as well. Like, how can you say these things, God, while these things are happening? And then I, but then the answer just, it was like, right when I asked the question, the answer answered itself. What it was like, how do you know what is evil if I don't even exist? And it was like, yeah, that's a good point, God. And then all this suffering evil, I realized it's because of the fall of man, the corruption of sin and Satan. It's all these things that brought this onto us. It's not God's fault. I mean, God's the one who just gave us the gift of the will so he we could experience the gift of love and relationships and hard work. Those are gifts. I don't think people realize when they say, God, I wish God created a world where evil wasn't possible. What you're asking for is a world with no virtue. Uh, because if Watch you Doctor have- Who and any episode with the Cybermen, and you will see what a deterministic world should look like. Right. And it's not pretty. Yeah. It's all practical too, right? Like so, but without without the possibility of evil, you never have someone who gives to the poor and or raises someone up from the ashes of nothing to become a success story. You would never have the brother in arms who oh. saves the other or gives his life for another. You wouldn't have true virtue with this for the possibility of evil. Let's even take this to a personal level. How many songs? that we love and identify with are born from pain. How many paintings do we look at and and the stories that we identify most strongly with? Um, I work in in audio engineering and I recently consulted on The Hiding Place that just came out. It was in in theaters a couple of weeks, earlier this month, actually, we're still in August. And, you know, I knew a little bit of the Corey Ten Boom story, but this this was so beautifully done. It was uh, the book was taken and written as a stage play, and then they recorded it, kind of like if you're familiar with Hamilton, how it was a play that was done. They actually went into an empty theater for most of it and shot it very cinematically. And so I got asked to consult on this, and watching her story and the things that God did through her and the lives that were saved by that woman's story. We don't get inspired by that in a deterministic world. Or in a world where evil is not possible. If there's no evil possible, then there's no one to, you know, think about David. Think about Moses. Think about um, Daniel. The the great people that we look to, Paul, who, who did these incredible things in the face of evil, standing before kings, standing before governors. And having a solid testimony, the, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, we don't get inspiration 
literally you can't be inspired to do things better if there's no evil, if there's no bad. Right. And so a lot of people don't realize that again, philosophical price tags, right? Yeah. A lot of things you take for granted are because are actually so like in a sense there is this idea that the ability for evil to exist allows for the greatest amount of virtue to take place. Um, and then that's why God restores it all at the end of final creation too, because even though mankind makes a mess of it, he restores it and then he brings it to perfection. And people think all the time, like in heaven, you won't have free will or the ability to sin. And I don't believe that. I think that you will still have your free will, but you will remember what it was like yeah. when we did not do things according to God's way. And he will, and that's what will keep everyone in order. Like, Hey guys, this is really awesome. We love this is all good. And we'll have those memories. We'll have, we'll have that knowledge. So there's a lot of things for that to answer some of those things. And even some of those things where it's like, Oh, how could God, a loving God torture people in hell forever. Well, the question is, does he torture people in hell forever? Well, Are you taking figurative language too literally? The one that I love too is what makes you think he's torturing them? Right. If the price of sin, the natural, I'm a firm believer in natural consequences to your choice. So if the natural consequence to your choices to commit sin, is that, then that's the natural state. He doesn't send us there. We send ourselves there, but he rescues us from there. Now you talked about PSA. I am a, an extra, I don't necessarily hold to atonement so much as I do redemption, but of the models, I, I very much hold to ransom and Chris's Victor that he purchased our debt. Think about the lion, the witch of the wardrobe. If you've read the book or watched the movie, Edmund was destined because of his choice. The queen was owed a death. That that's that was the law. Now the law for our sin is that we die. That's the natural consequence. And so Aslan said, "Yes, you're owed a death. So take me." Now I'm going to point this out because PSA, I, I also do not agree with PSA. PSA posits that every bit of torture that Jesus received was in our place. No. Aslan was not destined to be beaten. He was not destined to have his mane shaved, to be uh, punched, tied, all of that. And Jesus Christ was not destined by our sin to be whipped, have a crown, to be punched, to all of those things. The only reason that that happened, in, in my opinion, from what I see in Scripture, is that God prophesied that that would happen so that we would know who the Lamb was. Well, yeah, and there's, I mean, oh, but we, mm, you're probably <laughs> giving me one, right? I got to point you into a, a whole other world. Yes, so, uh, uh, the atonement let's, theory let's thing, I'll go on for a while. Yeah. But yeah, we realize, but read Will's upcoming book that will come out sometime in the future. Yes, I keep saying I, within the next year. I keep saying, and that was, I said that last year too. So here we are. But <laughs> um, I actually literally am almost done with my like full manuscript, at least before proofreading. I have a few things to work on. But uh, point is, is that I, I, once I started learning out these things, it, it anchored me. Yeah, and it can anchor you. Yeah. And you don't have to throw your faith out just because you've had some bad experiences. Uh, you know, I, I confronted the problem of evil too. Like I said, uh, when I was doing that walk and God, you know, kind of felt like God answered the question right there, then and there, then I realized what the, who the true person, people behind evil was, and that he's the one beckoning me to comfort me, right, during my suffering and affliction. And of course, scripture says that, hey, 
uh, there is no temptation that is not basically common to man, but Christ has overcome the world. So we can take strength in his strength. And with that, it, what I would just highly recommend to all, all of you out there, if you're struggling, is to start getting good reasons for your faith, or at least ask the questions, do you have good reasons, and start looking at proper resources. Um, good resources, not not contradictory resources, not resources that are poorly put together. Like, you know, IFB has resources, but they're usually a joke. And uh, and then, you know, you know, you get, uh, I know a lot of people who's like, they fall into Reformed theology because if they're from like an IFB background, so you have to take certain parts of the Bible like very woodenly, and they don't notice a lot of hermeneutical mistakes are kind of making along the way because they're kind of let's be honest if you're in a from a legalistic background you're used to contradiction well it kind of creates that and then they just kind of do the turn on that gaslight of who are you oh man not realizing that romans 9 is really about gentile inclusion not about choosing people for salvation but they miss these things but so i always caution people like don't go that direction because that direction causes its own set of problems where it's not a god who's truly benevolent who loves all people equally so, I, just, I don't know um, if I've told you this. I was this close to heading that direction um, because as I started studying and, and you were involved in another group um, that, that had some of this, um, before you really started speaking against it, I was like, oh, well, th- because that's one of the things that it's it's funny. The IFB preaches so much against it. And I told someone the kind of group that I grew up in and he looked at me and he goes, oh, y'all were Calvinists. And I was like, no, we weren't. And then I started examining the things that I grew up in. I was like, we were two and a half to three point Calvinists. Um, and it's funny because as I started breaking away from that group, I was like, well, this is comfortable and it's familiar. And yeah, it seems right. And they're not as bad as it was made out to be. And so I started leaning that way. And then you started exposing some of the doctrines and the teachings. And I was like, oh, 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 that's where this leads. Yeah. One of the big things is, uh, Big things in something like Reformed theology, uh, what they won't, don't tell you is something like this was something called theological voluntarism. It's basically what they have to subscribe to because it allows God to basically say, this is what's right and what's wrong, like an extreme version of a divine command theory, which is whatever is God commands is therefore the moral. Uh, so therefore it's voluntarism. Um, so therefore God can command you one thing. Right. You have to love all people equally. Well, he doesn't have to because all that it makes something right or wrong for us is that God commanded it. So he can tell you to love all people while he can say, Jacob, I have loved Esau, I have hated. Uh, and it's just, and same with nominalism, uh, which kind of goes with it, theological nominalism, which is things only exist in name only. There is no like objective or uh, real aspect to it. So um, those kind of go hand in hand with it. And that's kind of a secret. No people, no one wants to talk about. Uh, because you the reality is like involved in a, about a three day long Twitter debate with a few other people over this very topic, because I pointed out, I was like, if God commands us to do something that is like him, that's just, if God commands us not to do something that is an affront to him, that's just, and there's a third one. I was like, I said, Oh, I said, if God commands us not to do something that he can do, that's also just. But if God commands us to do something he cannot do or will not do, that's not just. Right. And that's and that goes into the so where's back to epistemological epistemology question, where do you get your morals? Is it just because God arbitrarily chose them? Or is it because maybe, perhaps maybe, 
what is right and what is wrong is anchored within the God's very example nature. Example was that I that I used is God commands us to forgive everyone. Yet in that particular theological direction, God does not forgive everyone. And one of my favorite quotes, and, and I, I do again, this is one of those things that's like I, I can't recommend them. There's sometimes people come up with cool concepts, they have a couple good quotes, but on a whole, maybe don't recommend it. But there is a book that took Christianity by storm back in the late 2000s. Um, and I'm not going to mention the name of the book, but the, ah. the the author is a universalist. And so I had to go back through the book at one point and, and see, does he teach universalism? And w- one of the quotes that I loved was on the topic of forgiveness. And he said, Forgiveness is given to all, but redemption is a two-way street. So hmm. for me, as as someone who who really loves the Christus and believes the Christus, or uh, sorry, the, the ransom theory model, I it's no secret, uh, or it won't be for long. I hold to things that many people believe are heresies. Now I do believe the Bible clearly says that Jesus was given over to the him that had uh, the power over death, which was Satan or something very similar to that. I'm I'm greatly misquoting, but basically the Bible says Satan had the power of death. Yep. And so if Jesus died. If that was our ransom, then a debt was paid to Satan. Now there are many who believe that to be a straight up heresy. Um, I'm sorry. I believe it's in the book of Hebrews. It, it's in the, the, early, the earliest, earliest Christians believed it for the longest yeah. time. The ransom model was one of the biggest, most so, popular models for ages. The way I've looked, one of the ways that I look at it is this. Every human being owes a debt. And until the cross, that debt was payable to Satan. Jesus Christ came to give his life a ransom for many. He bought the debt for all mankind. But you still have to ask for forgiveness of that debt. Well, it's one of those things where he offers forgiveness to all, right? With his covenant yeah. blood. And he says, everyone's welcome, Yeah, but you have to join. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I'm going to put it this way and make this very personal. Will, if you are condemned to die, and I give myself, or a part of myself, or, or, or let's let's even go Father, Son, Spirit. I give my child for your life. And you look at, and now you owe me everything that you've owed. And I say, look, if you will ask, I will forgive it. And you say, no, I'm going to do this myself. How do you think that makes me feel as a father? <laughs> like, like the death is cheap. Yeah. <laughs> I, gave up, I, I I love you. You're, you're one of my best friends. I'm sorry. <laughs> And you have a daughter? I don't think there's any way either one of us are sacrificing our daughters for each other. Nope. And that's not offensive in any way. That is the love of a parent. And yet, the father and the son made this incredible sacrifice for us. So when 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 you don't accept the gift and you say, well, that sacrifice isn't really that much to me. I'll work off the debt myself. What was the suffering of Jesus for? What what was the ransom for? You know, this is why I say all the time with with 
when it comes to it's like again, you don't send, we, God doesn't send you to hell, like you, yeah. you send yourself because when you re- well, reject if you have to this, pay yourself, then God says, okay, pay the debt. Here's the price. Right. Well, consider this. Consider it for a moment. If the greater love has no man than he who gives his life up for a friend, and yeah. Christ gave himself up for a friend, yes, uh, gave his stuff up for everyone. Then for you to reject said free gift, whichever model you take, you penal substitution, uh, yeah. moral influence, whatever you take, whatever atonement model you take or prefer, then you rejected goodness itself, the greatest goodness that could ever exist. So if you give up that greatest goodness that ever existed, you are rejecting good. Yes. So that means you are to be separated from goodness forever because you've rejected it within your very being. If you look like, like, it's like, oh, I, like, once I realize that that's the point, that's why you're condemned. Also, God, yeah, he's angry at sin. He hates sin. He hates that, you know, murder yeah. and a adulterous heart is an affront to him, but that's it. And this ties so, into the psychological argument, which is a, a maximally great being. Okay. If you can imagine something greater than God, that's not a max, then God is not a maximally great being. Okay. Yeah. Zeus is not a maximally great being. He's limited. Um, Osiris or whatever the greatest god of the Egyptian pantheon is, is not a maximally great being. Odin is not a maximally great being. Hashem, you know, the god of, of Israel, the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has claimed and is proven and in scriptures claimed to be a maximally great being. So if you deny that goodness, that greatness, you have to be where he's not, which is the definition of hell. Right, exactly. Which is why so C.S. Lewis kind of writes it writes analogously about like what it's like to be separated from goodness, and yeah. so it's important to just understand that. So some of those questions that you might be wrestling with, I guess, to circle back to the main point after those rabbit trails, but to circle back to that. The point is that you need to study this. You can study this, and it can reach you help you reach different conclusions. But also, there are answers to these things. There's a lot of ways you can answer it. Which is why, like I said. Once you have a good reason to believe in God, good reasons to believe in Christianity, then you are kind of this nice freedom to explore for a while and go, all right, well, I don't have to be bound by a particular denominational bend. I can just study and see where it leads. You know, that's, I became an annihilationist. I used to think that the argument for annihilationism would be silly because of all the, all the seeming texts that talk about torture and torment and there's not. Um, and revelation, by the way, is not nearly as clear as you think. Um, so anyway, there's just a lot of stuff. So anyway, point is, guys, I'm excited for this project because I think this project here is going to do a lot of good. I think it's going to help people, uh, realize that there is a place that they can go to talk about their testimony about renovating faith, perhaps maybe get a little bit more of a voice out there for those who are renovating. Yeah. You know, um, and it's okay. And I, well, I gotta say this. It's okay to ask questions. Okay. But I, I forgot I mentioned this earlier, but one thing that happens to a lot of people is while they're asking questions, they realize there's a lot of different answers to those questions that are possible. Yeah. And the question is not, is it possible? The question, which is the most probable? Those are different questions. Yeah. And it's important for us to realize that because it's like, okay, well, is there a possibility? People don't like that. They're like, well, it's possible that the universe started this way or this way or this way. So Christianity really doesn't stand out. I'm like, chill out for a second. Which I was mean, the most probable? Under Molinism, it's possible that there's a probable world where Will is a Calvinist. That is a 
cross-world impossibility. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it is a funny thing though, when you really consider that, when you go, okay, well, I guess it's different. Yeah. There's a possibility that the universe could have been self-creating. Sure. But is it probable? It's, it's like dumb and dumb. Definitely not. What are the chances that a guy like me gets with a girl like you? And she goes one in a million. So there's still a chance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so just things to consider people on um, while you're consi- well, while you might be going through this, this renovation process. That's why I started the channel that I started. The church split is about church splitting topics. I tend to destroy churches, but also that destroy people from church and take cast people out of church. And my thing is I want to bring the unity back to the body, which is I want to give good reasons for us to be unified yep. and good reasons for you to believe what you believe and also some maturity so you can lock arms with people that you disagree with. Right. I'm in ministries with people I greatly disagree with, but I will high five them at the end because we have the same mission. And uh, maybe that could be something that helps you. Like uh, I always tell people when they're first leaving uh, Christianity, uh, not Christianity, sorry, like legals or whatever brand that they're doing, uh, to just read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Just give it a read. It might bring that, bring some of your anxiety levels down where you're like, oh, maybe I don't have to have all that figured out. But I can rest in, Je- I can rest in Jesus Christ because, as you mentioned earlier, his yoke is easy. It's kind. Yeah. It is light. And you can just rest there for a minute. So I hope that helps. Absolutely. Um, just a couple more questions, and, and we obviously got to wrap this up. We're getting late here. Um, what would you recommend as a couple good sources for people who are, are they're saying, hey, I'm just starting out this process. I'm really nervous. What is a good, safe place? Um, before you answer, I am going to recommend the church split. Okay. I love the church split. Um, fun story. Will started the podcast probably a year or two before I listened to the first episode because podcasts were what old people listened to. I mean, it was the modern guys uh, talk radio and it was my wife that actually started listening to podcasts. And I was like, you know, I've actually recommended Will's podcast to people who had questions and I'd never listened to an episode. But I, I <laughs> then went, I remember. Um, and again, uh, we're going to get into this a little more, probably in episode four of the podcast, but um we came and listened to, I caught up, I got hooked on one podcast and I went through all of that and we had been texting a little bit. And I remember I texted, I was like, Hey man, I, I finally listened to the first episode of the church split. This is awesome. I'm going to catch up. And you're like, dude, we put out so much content. You guys had over like 120 episodes, I think at that point. And I burned through it in like three months. Um, but I was working construction at the time. So hence the name of the show, Renovating Faith, because you don't go into renovation without a plan. Um, and, and you have to have a plan when, when you're going to start tearing things out. When you go, if you're going to tear out your drywall and you're going to tear out your carpet, you don't start remodeling a kitchen without knowing what you want in next. Right. And you may not go in knowing what you're going to come out with from your faith. But you need to go in with a plan to rebuild. Absolutely. Don't don't go in just saying, well, whatever happens, happens. Okay. Um, Will's about to answer the question, what are some good resources? And I would encourage you, one, check out the church split, but check out the the series Unapologetic. Will had the opportunity in his church to teach apologetics, which is why we believe what we believe. And I'm a 
firm believer that a reasonable faith is greater than blind faith. Okay. Everything we do is faith. Sitting in a chair. This is my favorite example. Sitting in a chair is faith. That chair could break. We see it on almost every slapstick comedy video. Chairs fall apart. Okay. But we don't my stop. My chair broke on the 4th of July weekend. So yes. And, and we don't stop and check those chairs before we sit in them. We just sit. That's reasonable faith. And right. apologetics gives you reasonable faith. And, and so I, I want to challenge you. Absolutely. Please check out the church split unapologetic series, but uh, Will, what are some other, like some books or some other channels maybe? That oh, definitely. Um, I would, so I recommend a lot of different things. It depends what you're looking for. My favorite Christian channel that I think everyone should follow um, way before even my own. Um, I always recommend Trinity radio with Braxton Hunter and Jonathan Bridget. I honestly think this, and I'm not to say this because I'm a, I'm a Trinity grad where Braxton is the president and JP is Jonathan Pritchett is the vice president. I'm not to say that because I am alumni of Trinity that were there where they are, but because I actually became alumni of Trinity because of Trinity radio. I wanted to get a degree with them because I don't want to support their work. Trinity radio is fantastic. One, they're fun yes. guys. Um, two, they're very informative. Uh, and they're good and they don't speak as like up here. Like sometimes if you listen to a great resource is, uh, William Lane Craig's Defenders. Uh, uh, you can check out the Defenders podcast. Yeah. It's a great resource, but William Lane Craig, uh, is, you know, a double PhD, one in theology, one in philosophy, and he tends to speak up here. Um, and what's nice about Trinity radio is that they put it like they're, even though they're talking about high end concepts, they're talking about it like, on a normal level where average people can get the concepts. Um, and when they are talking about something difficult, they take a moment to unpack it. So Additional plug for them. Braxton Hunter is one of the most gracious people I've ever heard. Um, yeah. It's almost annoying. It, it really is. Like <laughs> I heard him in a debate with an atheist and he called the atheist out on, on a fallacy, not, by calling him out, but he said, I know you know what this means, but just in case people in our audience don't, let me define this. And like, I was like, oh, dude, you could have like schooled him. You could have done a major burn. And he was just kind as could be. I absolutely, you've had Braxton on your channel. We're in the early process of trying to get him on here uh, because he's another one who deals with, with deconstruction a lot. And, and yeah, evangelism to atheists in general through apologetics mm-hmm. and and so um yeah trinity radio is fantastic Absolutely. definitely recommend um also of course there's capturing christianity uh arguably one of the most popular christian channels out there definitely worth just checking out um just because he had he, he covers a plethora of things so he has experts on all the time like cameron himself it isn't the scholar he has scholars on but he's he has really good interview skills and his photography is amazing uh then as far as uh other ones like uh if you want like pop culture commentary uh jonathan mccray with what do you mean uh he's fantastic so these are all like youtube and podcasting world stuff um, that i recommend i also really like idol killer friend of mine warren mccrew uh as he discussed like augustinian theology and if you don't know what that means go to idol killer and check it out and watch his playlist on original sin uh that'll that'll help flesh that out a little bit for you and might hook you on his channel plus he's big on dad jokes it's great uh, then, uh, I love that, and that's another one guy I'm, I'm hoping to have on. So, oh, I'm sure Warren would happy to be happy to oblige. He's a good dude. Um, 
And basically, oh, also the, uh, and then I got to plug my boys. When I first started getting into theology, I actually listened to the Bible bro down. And, uh, now I'm happy to be in a network with those guys, uh, Matt and Billy. Uh, they're fantastic as well. So those are all great podcasts to start with. The Defenders course of, of the Defenders course, of course, uh, is great, um, with Wayland Craig. Uh, so then those, now if you want books, this is where I struggle. Because there's a lot of books that go a lot of different directions. It depends what you're looking for. Okay. So um, I first recommend if you want to get into apologetics and just learn basic thinking skills, Tactics by Greg Kalkal is a great place to start. It's a short book and it's really good. Uh, also, I always recommend uh, Frank Turex and Norman Geisler's I Don't yeah. Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Now, granted, is it super deep? That, that is a, so it's gotten a lot of criticism because it doesn't get deep enough. Uh, to people in concepts, but every chapter could be its own, like, I don't think that's the series for, book. For, for our channel because we're talking about people who are starting to go through the renovation process. Exactly. This is an entry level book, book, right? Um, right. It's, a, it's an entry level book to just kind of give you the overview of Christian, yeah. why you should believe in Christianity and God. Tactics is phenomenal for when you're ready to defend your faith. But if we're talking about learning what Christians actually believe, I, I think definitely go with um, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Go with the case series. I, I cannot remember the name of the author. You'll remember. But um, the case for Christ, you know, um, Lee Strobel, Lee Strobel. Thank you. Um, Lee was a cold case investigator who thought he was an atheist who said it. If this is real, I'm going to use. I mean, the evidence he brings upholds in court today. That's his right. special well, thing, where all evidence is gone. He finds it, and he found enough evidence to convince him, an atheist, that Christianity was true. And right. so now, that was just incredible. And now, as far as that's concerned, so like, there's some very entry level books into this sort of thing, right? Like Lee Strobel stuff. Um, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Um, I also recommend On Guard by William Blake Craig. Uh, uh, that one's fantastic. Right. Uh, so, and I will say this with On Guard, hang with it. He gets pretty deep at the beginning of yes. each chapter, and then he breaks it down. And we'll, Craig does it on purpose because he doesn't want, he's kind of tired of people thinking that Christians are stupid. So he starts off high-end phys- philosophical level, then he lands the plane, starts high, lands the plane, starts high, lands the plane. That's his That's his general motif. And um, it's definitely worth to stick with that book. So those are some good places to start there. As far as theology is concerned, Really depends what direction you want to go. I love N.T. Wright. I think he's great, but some people have a hard time following his thought process. I love him, but not everyone else is able to follow him as well. Um, Dr. Michael Heiser, love that guy. Definitely check his stuff out. Um, Naked Bible Podcast. Yep, the Naked Bible Podcast. Also read his book, The Unseen Realm. Trust me, it's the great way. It's the gateway drug. You'll have a great time. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of resources as far as that's concerned. I also want to plug uh, Dr. Lydia McGrew's books because a lot of people know Mike Lycona's work on the New Testament uh, as far as this, like, reliability. But uh, Lydia McGrew takes some issue with his approach, and her books are fantastic. I definitely want to recommend Hidden in Plain View, where she talks about the cross-references in the New Testament and how they expose eyewitness testimony. Definitely want to give her a plug. So these are just... There's a lot of different resources. Feel free to email us at thechurchsplit at gmail.com. I'd be happy to send you a list of resources, depending on what you want to research. Um, I got a lot of resources for you. And if I don't have them, I have friends that I can ask to get you answers for. So just feel free to email us at any time. We'd be happy to answer any questions.
Well, we'll give one more plug, and that is to Black Sheep Theology, and Will also runs that, and that is his network, and that includes guys like uh, Idol Killer, uh, The Bible Bro Down, Provisionist Perspective. Um, God is Open with Chris Fisher. David Pullman's podcast, which it, uh, is the name's escaping me. Um, it's Christian, like, evidential podcast. Yeah, Christian evidential podcast. His channel is uh, Faith Because of Reason. I love David's channel, but... Uh, I, I'm not sure how much they put on their Christian Evidentialist podcast though, yeah. yet. Um, um, Jordan Ferrier does several videos, and Jordan has it's just great textually with things. I, I love every once in a while he'll jump on the on your Facebook group and he'll just drop an entire exeget exegesis of a passage, going into the Greek and all of this stuff, and it's just it's really cool. Um, yeah, and by the way, if you have it, another great resource is join our Facebook group. Yeah. You just look us up at the church split apologetics and discussion. Look us up because I'm telling you right now, you do not want to miss that group. One is hilarious because we have Friday, fallacy Friday where we all roast memes with each other, but also there's a lot of great discussion and not because I run the group. I literally am like a fly on the wall most of the time, my own group. Uh, we have some great people in there with great minds who have studied a lot of different things. That's the whole point of the group is to ask questions and gain resources. And we have every, group of christians in there so very diverse group of believers um which means you get a broad amount of answers which is good it's it's so well well one more question that is do you have anything else that you would want to say to someone who is starting this renovation process yes take it slow uh that's just my biggest thing take it slow um if you're like me you want to have all the answers right away and you're not going to and be okay with being wrong uh, be quick to listen and slow to speak. I know it's a cliche, but seriously, listen, but then be quick to ask questions, pointed questions even. And just know it's okay to be disagreeable, but also know it's okay to accept when there's a good answer and move on, right? So just take that time, man. If you're in that renovation process, take the time and just start from the ground up. That's why I tell people all the time. Start. What is the main the main thing? All right. Stick to the main thing for a while. Get good at really understanding the main thing. Because once you understand the main thing, everything else flows easily from it. Well, and that actually reminds me of one more resource. Uh, and you're a part of this group as well. And that is Talk About Doubts. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned them. Okay. Um, I can't believe I forgot about that. I'm one of the team members. Um, yes. If you are listening to this podcast right now, I cannot, and you are really struggling with doubts in your faith, go to talkaboutdoubts.com and you can submit an inquiry there. It'll go to Dr. Jonathan McGlatchy and he will assign you a specialist depending on your question. And when I say specialist, I'm not joking. We have everything from professional PhD level psychologists to Egyptologists to, uh, we have like people like Dr. Stephen Meyer, who's a biologist Oh, no, no, he's a, he's got his PhD in scientific the- uh, philosophy. And then you have Jonathan McGlatchy, who's a bi- biologist. You have Braxton Hunter. You have uh, so many different people with so many different specialists uh, on different things. And you will be assigned a, a specialist where you can have a face-to-face discussion over Zoom with a specialist about your doubts. And it's free. You just go. It's a ministry there to serve you and help you along with your doubts. And then once you have a face-to-face conversation, you will get an invite to a Discord server where we talk about doubts, people chat all day long. And that's absolutely awesome because you're not just getting 
a random pastor or a random theologian. You're getting someone who specifically has mastered or studied your specific doubt. And that's so powerful because like, again, I work in audiovisual and people ask me, Hey, do you, do you, do you edit video? And I say, yes, I can edit video, but I'm an audio engineer because there's so much that goes into audio alone. Like it's its own field and people who try to do both. There are people that do great at both, but it is so specific and there are so many tricks and tips and things that you can do. And theology is so much more vast than that. All right. So imagine you could come to me about video questions, but really I should recommend you to my video guy. You want to ask an audio question? I got you. And that's what this this is about is it's if if you struggle with a biological type question, they're not going to send you to to Will Hess probably. They're going to send you to the guy who has the PhD in biology. Absolutely. You don't want to go to me for your biology. So so awesome that they've got that resource. So please take advantage of that if you've got questions. And if you have a specific person you want to talk to, Ask specifically to talk to that specialist. They have a list of team members on the website. Um, uh, they don't have all of them, but they have a list of them. Uh, I get a lot of the theology inquiries. I get a lot of the what people are, I mean, theology are struggling with the problem of evil and suffering. Those yeah. are the biggest ones I get questions on. That's a big part of my specialty. So that's where I serve. Um, but you know, there's people who are just fantastic at a number of things. Like we have Tim McGrew and he's very good at answering miracle claims. So anyway, these are just some resources. I hope that that was shotgun. That was rapid fire, but there's a lot out there and all you have to do is start looking and highly recommend you checking them out. Absolutely. Well, Will, thank you so much for coming on. And as always, it, it is so much fun when we get to get together. So, uh, we'll need to do this again soon. For all of you who are going through your renovation process, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and grant you peace. Thank you for listening to the Renovating Faith Podcast. If you are interested in sharing your story, please click the link to the guest form in the episode description. For more content from Renovating Faith and to be alerted when we upload new videos, please subscribe to one of our podcast channels. For merchandise, visit our store at renovating-faith.creator-spring.com. Please join us again next time on the Renovating Faith podcast.